Friday edition of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Matt Robinson here with you today. I'm going to pound out a quick one here on a couple of things we saw on Thursday night at the NHL, uh, well, the first night of the NHL All-Star festivities, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be back a little later today, probably early afternoon. Uh, things not totally set in stone, but we're going to touch base with uh, with Lever Sage here on Friday as well. So uh, you'll be able to uh, to hear from him a little later on today. But in the meantime, thought we'd drop something here, just talking about a little bit, like I said, about what we saw on uh, on the Thursday night from the uh, the NHL All Star festivities. And I'll be honest with you, I'm actually recording this in a couple of parts. Uh, the the fantasy draft, whatever you want to call it, that's just wrapped up, and uh, I was going to wait and record this after the PWHL 3-on-3 showcase. But right now they're doing this, uh, they're droning on and on about awarding the man of the hour to the, or sorry, the man of the year to the 1967 Toronto Maple Leafs. And they're doing it on the ice and it's taking forever. We're introducing just guy after guy. And uh, looking past the idea of awarding a team from 1967, a man of this year award, and the logic in in that it's just man it's taken the the wind out of the sails here a little bit there's a, there's a decent crowd down at Scotiabank Arena and the draft itself we'll talk about it in a second it kind of had its moments it was sort of up and down a little bit the crowd got into certain parts of it and it would have been one thing if you'd have gotten everybody off the ice hit the zamboni and then fired up the 3 on 3 contest i think you'd have kind of kept the crowd buzzing here a little bit but this is it's killed them. It killed me sitting on the couch. So I thought, you know what? I can sneak in here, record the first half of this episode while they're droning on about that. And yeah, look, I, I sort of get it. You're in Toronto. It's a decent opportunity to do some things to honor the history of the team. But this felt a little forced. The fact that you're putting it on national TV, uh, you know, and doing it at, uh, on the ice in front of this full 20,000 seat, you know, whatever. It just, it feels like a little bit much, especially when you know how the rest of the country and you know, does anybody on ESPN forget about the rest of Canada who hates the Toronto Maple Leafs? Forget it. What are people in ESPN thinking about watching the 1960s? This isn't how you grow this, right? Try and clip it along. A little more modern broadcast. Move things a little faster. Get to it. Uh, this isn't how you do it. And if I'm, as a hardcore Leaf fan, not interested in watching this, I don't know who else was interested in watching this. Uh, the draft just wrapped up. Look, people are being hard on it on Twitter, and I get it. That's sort of what Twitter is for. I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of other people did. Now, I didn't think it was great. It had some cringy moments, but I didn't feel like it was the disaster that some people are painting it as online. Um, I felt like, compared to previous editions, now the first thing we should point out, and Mark Lazarus summed it up pretty nice, uh, he's a reporter for The Athletic, and he just tweeted out, they're sober, lame. And uh, that is one difference from uh, the famous 2015 edition of the uh, of the All-Star Draft that, uh, you know, it was pretty clear all the boys were getting into it there uh, during the commercial breaks and having a few pints and whatnot. Uh, this one, that was definitely not the case. So, um, you know, <laughs> that does take some of the energy out of it. But I felt like they shortened it up a little bit. It felt like they paid extra attention or enforced a little harder the time limit on draft picks and sort of rush them. Now, a couple of times it was getting away from like Michael Buble was, you know, it was fun. It was cool to see that he was enjoying this, but he was sort of dragging his heels a couple times, slowing things down. Um, but it was sort of good that the celebrities, I guess, were willing to do that because the hockey players, 
almost never are. Like, this has always been a thing that if they have any personality, they're afraid to show it because hockey's so traditional and, you know, our older fan base won't appreciate it, these sorts of things. And so you sort of get very dry answers, very dry interviews, much like you do uh, dry meaning personality-wise, not the fact that there was no beer at this one. Um, you know, you get sort of these dry responses, and I felt like they kind of got in the way and made it worse this time. And we'll talk about that in a second, I guess. But just in the sense of clipping it along a little bit, this took significantly less than an hour. I have time for that. It wasn't a great showing. There was a couple of weird production moments. Um, there was a couple of things that didn't clip. But I didn't feel like it was as painful as some people did. I thought it was fun. I thought it could have been more fun had you let the players personalities shine a little bit more on their own. And I guess what I mean by that is in between different rounds or in between, in between different picks, David Amber from Port, uh, Sportsnet and John Buchagrass of ESPN, they'd like interview one of the captains. And, and I know they're sort of, I guess, trying to have fun, but the interview would be, or the question would be along the lines of like, you know, what do you see out of your team or whatever? Something like you would ask during a media scrum or in between periods. And so they're sort of having to, they hate those questions even in the game, and now you're sort of like, I don't know, man, this is an all-star game. We're just drafting our buddies and the most skilled guys, and whatever happens is going to happen. But they're not going to say that. It's going to have to be, well, you know, these guys got a lot of speed and skill and, uh, you know, could really uh, back up. Ugh. Like, just move from pick to pick. Stop asking the stupid questions. And they would do the same thing. Um, they'd go into the, the area where the players were that hadn't yet been picked and ask them, you know, fairly cringe moment. Nick Suzuki, the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, like, you know, what do you think of this format? And he should have been like, well, I'm still sitting here and nobody's picked me yet. So I guess I hate the fucking format. Could you get this microphone out of my face? Um, I don't know. I just feel like if you, if you would just kind of go pick to pick to pick without David Amber or Bouchagrass asking these extra questions, you know, putting them on the spot with different things. Maybe you could build some momentum between the guys. Maybe Matthews says to Hughes, oh man, that's who we were looking to take. And as a, you know, payback, we're going to grab this one of your teammates. We'll take Brock Besser or little things. like. And you could kind of build up between just the guys without trying to have the hosts interfere. And essentially, if these guys don't like interacting with the media, take the media out of it as much as you can and just let them have a good time with it. I, I understand there has to be someone kind of keeping it moving along a little bit. But at times, it felt like they did the opposite. One of the funnier moments, of course, comes at the end. And uh, someone, in theory, is supposed to get picked last. But we did that twice. The first time was uh, was Phil Kessel. Everyone remembers that. I believe the second one was Logan Couture, I believe, was the guy who got picked last. Uh, and then it turned into, you know, as a sympathy thing or so that nobody would feel bad about themselves. Uh, we'll, we'll give the guy who gets picked last a car. And so then in the 2015 edition, Alex Ovechkin is lobbying again, hammered, uh, to be picked last so he can get the car. Um, and that would have been an easy way out because everyone knows Ovechkin at the time wasn't actually the worst player there or the guy who was going to get picked last for any other reason. It didn't end up falling that way, but that was a PA thing, right? Was the, if we're going to do this again, we don't want guys getting picked last. The idea of someone just sitting there as the last guy to get selected. So this year they implement that when we get to the last four, because there's four teams, right? This is this three-on-three tournament. It's not the East versus West, just two teams anymore. It's four teams of three-on-three. 
And so when we get down to the last four guys, we're going to bring out these envelopes and Dave Keon's going to do that and we're going to shuffle them and, you know, everyone will then get their envelope picked and they'll be assigned to their team so no one will be picked last. And essentially what the PA has done is make it so that one guy who was going to get picked last is spared that, but three guys join him and all four of them now get to feel bad. We'll never know which one of you losers was going to be the last one to get picked. We don't want your feelings to be hurt, so we will all look at you and we'll all hand you your little sympathy envelope and send you over there. And it ends up, Oliver Bjorkstrand from the Seattle Kraken, he's the one who gets his envelope last. The other guys have gone to their team, so he's still someone is the last one standing there getting their envelope. And the funny tie-in for Oliver Bjorkstrand, the poor guy, he didn't even want to go. He was had an Airbnb booked with his wife. He was going to San Diego to have himself a little holiday. And then the NHL comes knocking and they pick a guy from each team, right? And they say, from your team, we want Oliver Bjorkstrand. And they're kind of asking him, he goes, all right. Like, and he didn't put up a stink. He didn't complain about it. But the media did ask him about it, you know, back in Seattle. And he said, well, you know, I was looking forward to a vacation, but it's an honor to go to the All-Star game and all the things you have to say. Well, sure enough, he's the guy who gets there and he's the last one standing there getting his little pity envelope. And having to, having, I didn't even want to go. Now, here I am, the poster child of this year's fucking draft. Just brutal. Um, so, you know. If you just let somebody get picked last, you spare all four of these guys. You know, someone's going to go last. You give them a car. I don't care if you have to, but I don't know. And the other thing, and I've said this before on the show, was the idea of not having all of these guys just pick their teammates, right? I've seen it. I've seen a three-on-three round or two of Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Morgan Riley. I've seen it. I've seen Quinn Hughes and... Elias Pettersson and JT Miller. I've seen it. So I guess I wouldn't even have done this. But the guys who had teammates there, right? Like the captains, uh, it was Matthews and Riley. It was McCarr and McKinnon from the Avalanche. It was Dreisaitl and McDavid from Edmonton. And then Vancouver, it was going to be Quinn Hughes and his brother, Jack Hughes from the Devils. And that would have been kind of fun. But Jack Hughes ends up injured. He comes to the game anyway to participate in the draft thing. But they had Ilias Pettersson as his co-cup. So all of the guys there already have one teammate. That should have been enough. And I would have gone as far as to say, I'd have put in a rule, you can't pick your teammates. Now, I get it. A lot of you will say, come on, like that's stupid or that's too far. And maybe it is. But I would like these things to get mixed up a little more. And they didn't get mixed up at all. Matthew's first pick was William Nylander. The second pick was Mitch Marner. Quinn Hughes end up, ends up with five out of six Canucks. It was only supposed to be five Canucks. Lindholm gets traded from Calgary um, to Vancouver on Wednesday, has to race around, gets himself there, and he's the only one of the Canucks guys who ends up on a different team. But now we just ha- we just, we've just got teammates. We've got two teams that are almost entirely teammates. It could have been so much more fun. If Quinn Hughes steps up, he has the first pick and goes, we're taking Mitch Marner, and he's staring right at Austin Matthews while he does it. Matthews turns and goes, fuck you, then I'm taking uh, Thatcher Demko. Like, it's already more interesting, right? We've put some spice into it. The draft gets a little rivalry. Matthews probably isn't going to say fuck you on the air, but power to him if he would have. But you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, you're taking my guy? I'm taking your guy. 
And now the gloves are off. Like the rules of just having to pick your teammates are off. And you can end up going in some different directions. And you don't have to keep spitefully taking other guys' teammates. But you've made it clear right off the hop, this isn't just going to be the same old thing. And it turned out to be the same old thing. Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Riley. Uh, Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, Thatcher Demko, Brock Besser. Eh. It's fine. It's it's the game. We know what the All Star game is. It's always the same. But at least the whole point, right, is was always in the past. Man, what would happen if we ever got to see you know Gretzky and Lemieux play together? And I know that one was in the West, one was in the East. But these sorts of things, right? It was going to be fun. Gretzky to Brett Hull. You never see it, but in an All Star game, you could see it. And we got guys because of the hockey culture who show up now. And instead of doing that, just draft all their teammates. And you're like, all right, well, good enough, I guess. Matthews went even further with it, right? Like Clayton Keller, who he knows because the guy plays down in Arizona. They skate together a bit in the summer. Um, you know, things like that. Could you just could you just loosen up and have a little fun with it? And I don't know whether, like I said, keeping the media out of it. And not out of it. I, I understand you need a host. Someone to explain and someone to run the graphics and this and that. But not sticking the mic in there in between every pick, every round, and trying to make small talk with guys who don't want to make small talk. Um, the celebrity hosts? Harmless enough. It was kind of fun. Michael Buble was clearly into it. There was a couple of times where I thought you could talk just a little bit less, but he was having a good time with it. Bieber looked like he was just kind of there to chill and, you know, hobnob with... Uh, he's a hockey fan. He's just a chance to meet some of his uh, idols or favorite players, maybe. Will Arnett was clearly enthusiastic, especially early on. It was funny watching him standing there in his Leafs hat with Dreisaitl and McDavid. Uh, that was kind of cool. And Tate McRae, I've said on the show, I don't know a lot about Tate McRae, but she seemed enthusiastic, right? She, I have no idea how much of a hockey fan she is. She talked on the broadcast that she would go to Flames games, so maybe she's a hardcore. Maybe she's casual. I have no idea. But, like, she was trying to have a good time with it and, and like, interacting with the players and the her co-captains and stuff. I, I thought she did an okay job. There was one time, because all these mics were live, you could hear... I believe it was when Quinn Hughes was taking Thatcher Demko. You could hear her voice on another mic. And I don't know if she was talking about a guy they were talking about or talking about Demko. And you, can, you can hear her voice kind of backed off the mic, but still on the mic. going like, oh, is he good? <laughs> Just kind of like, um, so again, maybe she's talking about Demko. Maybe she's asking about whoever they were going to pick next. But I thought it was a neat touch. It was a nice try. Whether you do it again is completely up to you. They did interject a little bit of life and a little bit of enthusiasm into some personalities that can otherwise be a little bit dry, but you know, I thought it was harmless enough, you know, whether you want to keep that going, we'll see if they're going to do the draft again next year. Maybe there won't even be an all-star game next year, right? They're doing that, that mini world cup. Uh, that was one observation I made when the Quinn Hughes brothers selected Brady Kachuk. You're like, well, that's kind of fun in an environment like this, but as a Canadian hockey fan, I'm not sure how pumped I am to see the Hughes brothers and Brady Kachuk and, Austin Matthews and all these guys standing out there together when they're getting ready to take on Canada, but that's a problem for a different day. So I don't know, not a bad uh, event. Like I said, I didn't think it was as terrible as a lot of other people did. I didn't think it was brilliant by any means. I didn't think it was riveting television by any means, but I sort of knew going in what it was going to be. These guys are a little awkward and they're going to stick to the hockey culture. So it's sort of going to be what it's going to be. And for me, that was fine. It was fine. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. I'm going to go watch the uh, the PWHL showcase. We'll be back to talk a little bit about that, and then we'll wrap this one up. 
Oh my god, that was painful. Ah, not the PWHL part in particular, the wait. I told you, I sat out there, I watched the aftermath of the draft. I watched them call out the first couple of guys from the 1967 team, the transition they had done to get to that part of the broadcast, and I said, screw it, I'm going to come in here, I'm going to record the first half of the show. And by the time I was done that, I went out, they were still trotting out, they did an interview with William Nylander, they did an interview with Brady Kachuk, they did an interview with Brian Burke, and I see on Twitter one of the reporters go, they're saying we're still 30 minutes away from puck drop on the PWHL game. If you want to talk about how to kill a live crowd, it's a boring-ass ceremony like that, and then a bunch more just dead air in the building while you do a bunch of stuff on TV. Now, I get it. You got to roll up the carpets, and you got to hit the Zamboni, and there's certain logistics involved. But, man, just skip the the ceremony on the 67 Leafs. Believe it or not, we've heard a lot over the years about the 67 Leafs. We know about the 67 Leafs. Leaf fans have heard plenty about 1967 over the years. Skip it. So it was painful to get to. If you were in the building, I'd love to hear from you at Tall Can Audio about what they did to try and keep you entertained. Because it looked, man, on TV, it was long. I can't imagine what it was like in the building. One last thing I, I, I just wanted to mention quickly about the draft. And there's nothing important. Uh, but one of the things that bugged me, and this is, comes from a, a very Leaf place, is Austin Matthews picking Matthew Barzell. No. No, we're not doing that. We're also not picking Nick Suzuki, and we're also not picking Brady Kachuk. Now, to Brady Kachuk's credit, he was asked about that in his interview on Sportsnet. He said, I, you know, I think it was Friedman who said, I'm sure there was one team you did not want to be a part of, and that would have been that Toronto team that had all the, the Leafs on it. And to his credit, he kind of goes, yeah, that would have been interesting. Probably not a lot of passes going their way. And so that's fine. Like, that's how you're supposed to handle those things. It's a Had he actually been picked there, would it have been fine and, and kind of interesting? Yes. The fact that it wasn't allows everybody to keep playing up the rivalry, that's fine. But the Leafs shouldn't have picked him for their own sake and for his. They shouldn't have picked Nick Suzuki, and they didn't. So fine. These are the little rivalry things. But they did John Tavares dirty by drafting Matthew Barzell. Isles fans have put John Tavares through shit for five, six years now, just being completely unwilling to take off their soiled diapers. They have to just sit in them for the rest of their lives, I guess. And so if it was up to Austin Matthews and Morgan Riley, Matthew Barzell sits there till the very end. He is the last one picked. Screw you, Islanders fans. We're not taking your guy. I hope he's the last one sitting there. Now, would someone else have taken him before that? Probably. You look at some of the guys who were still sitting there at the end. Is Matthew Barzell better than them? Probably. But you let a different team do it. You don't do it. We're leaning into this. We're doing the rivalry thing. If this is the hockey thing I, t- I talked about a few minutes ago, the we're going to take all our buddies and all our teammates, then it also means you don't take your rivals. And at this point... For John Tavares' sake, you don't take an Islander. That's where I stand on that. Also, if any Habs fans are listening, I power to you for being here, honestly. Uh, we don't talk a lot about your team when we do. It's not very nice. Boone Jenner went before Nick Suzuki. That's what everybody thinks of your guy. That's your next great captain. A team preferred Boone Jenner. Moving on, uh, we got to the PWHL part of this. And the game was fun. The introductions were fun. Like I said, it was a drag to get there. So kudos to the audience that did manage to come back around and find some energy after being asked to sit around for as long as they were. The introductions were really cool. 
Marie-Philippe Poulain, perhaps not surprisingly, got a huge ovation. And Sarah Nurse was probably the second biggest one. Everyone got, you know, nice cheers, nice uh, ovations. But the introductions, the way they were done, um, you know, the Canadian crowd obviously leaning into their... Uh, yeah, they gave a nice ovation to Kendall Coyne, Schofield as well, and to Hillary Knight. But the two big ones, for sure, were Poulain, the Canadian legend, and Sarah Nurse, right? The, the Toronto PWHL leader and uh, everything that went into that. It was fun to watch those girls get the attention. They were clearly loving it. They were doing the interviews beforehand. Everyone obviously having a really good time. And the game, it's an all-star three-on-three game, right? It looked exactly like what you'd expect it to look like. It looked like what the men's games look like at this three-on-three all-star game. A lot of goals, a lot of offense, a lot of up and down the ice. Not a lot of defense, not a lot of helping out your goaltenders. So, um, But, I mean, what else was it going to look like when you play three-on-three uh, for an extended period like that? They did two 10-minute halves, and, and it was fun. The crowd was feeling it. You saw some pretty nice plays. Uh, a neat little takeaway. I don't know. If there's anything significant to it or not, I thought it was a fun story that Ella Shelton, who scored the first goal in PWHL history for New York against Toronto back on New Year's Day, also scores the first goal of the PWHL showcase in uh, in NHL All-Star history. However you want to phrase that, you understand what I mean. This is the first time the PWHL has been invited to do this at the NHL All-Star game, obviously being their first season, and she scores the first goal there. So if she's collecting firsts... Um, you know, a couple interesting little, uh, I don't know, little landmarks for her there this season that she's going to get to put her name on both of them. So that's kind of fun. Uh, as for the rest of it, it sort of is what it is. Like I said, three on three. I did want to touch on one other story though out of the PWHL that came out on Thursday. And that is this Battle of Bay Street, Battle on Bay Street, whatever they're calling it. It's uh, later on in February. When Montreal is in town to play Toronto, they're moving the game out of Maple Leaf Gardens and into Scotiabank Arena. And they're trying to do it up as a bigger event. And we heard some talk of this before the season started, right? That it was going to be a 24-game season or, or whatever it is. But one or two of your games might get moved to neutral site stuff. Now, we at the time thought maybe there would be a game at the Winter Classic. This was much earlier on. It turns out the league didn't even, la- uh, didn't even launch until January 1st. So obviously you weren't going to be able to get that done. But maybe at the All-Star game, Toronto could have hosted Montreal. They decided to go this way instead. But we did hear there were going to be opportunities for the PWHL to go play at NHL events or in bigger buildings or different things that might take them take them out of these traditional, you know, their current home buildings. So this is the first one of those we've seen. And it's going to be Toronto-Montreal. And instead of playing at the Gardens, which has a capacity of about 3,000, Uh, Maybe just a little shy of that, I believe. And they've been selling that out. They've had great crowds down there. But they're going to move one of the games from there into Scotiabank Arena. And that'll be against Montreal. So we started hearing talk on Wednesday afternoon when they did a ticket pre-sale. That the ticket pre-sale was going really well. And that there weren't going to be a whole lot of tickets left for the public on sale date. Uh, And it turned out that by the end of the pre-sale on Wednesday... They had sold out the entire lower bowl, which holds about 8,500 at, uh, at Scotiabank Arena. And so they were going to open up some more for the pre-sale, but they wanted to save some for the rest, uh, you know, the, the public on sale. And within two hours on Thursday of the pre-sale ending and it becoming a public on sale for anyone, sold out. 18,000, closer to 19,000. I think, I think capacity is about 18,800. So they sold the whole thing out. And this will be, what, the fourth time already this season that this league has shattered a record 
for professional women's hockey in North America. We started it out in Ottawa at their home opener, which was a bit over 8,000 people. Uh, only a couple of days later, it's in Minnesota, and they're playing at XL Energy Center, which is the home of the NHL's Minnesota Wild. They get to about 13,000. And then we just saw it switch again in Montreal. Uh, I don't have it in front of me who they were playing, but Montreal uh, sold out a game at closer to 14,000. So here we are, Battle of Bay Street, Montreal versus Toronto. Should be a pretty good rivalry moving forward in the league, right? But they're doing it at Scotiabank, and it took the pre-sale plus two hours to sell the whole thing. out. It's incredible how many times you are shattering this, shattering the... Uh, the myth, you know, how many times have you been on Twitter and been in the replies and there's always some douchebag sitting there, nobody cares about women's sports. Well, could we get a look first? Could we try it before we just decide nobody's going to watch or nobody's going to care? Because every time this league has opened up more seats or more games or created more broadcast opportunities, the ratings go up, the seats sell out. So I don't know how long this is going to continue. Shrides and I talked about this on the podcast over the weekend. Maybe there is a little bit, a little bit of a novelty here. It's new. And like any other sport, pick a team. Your team starts to struggle for a couple of years. And, you know, do I really want to go out on a weeknight to watch another game? It's possible that this thing will have some ebbs and flows like every other pro sport. But the idea that just summarily, you could write it off as something that isn't going to work. That has turned out to be bullshit. It is working. People are there. They're charging a reasonable price. They're not charging a Maple Leaf money to go see it. They have set this up well in arenas that... And let's face it, when you watch it on TV and you hear the word sellout and you don't see any empty seats and the crowds are going crazy, it makes you want to go. It makes it feel like a place to be. There's a supply and demand, right? Oh, I tried to get tickets. I couldn't go. The next time a game goes on sale, you try that much harder. You try that much faster. That's what had to happen here. And so when I say there's a novelty factor, there's a novelty factor in any new sport. It's not specific to women's sports. I'm not trying to say anything like that. But it is sports. And if your team is bad for a while or whatever, yeah, maybe you'll struggle. That's that's just the way the, the market works. But so far, at every turn... When they have opened up these opportunities, people have shown up or people have turned it on and watched it on TV. And so I wonder the next places you go here, Ottawa at Canadian Tire Center has a higher capacity than 18,800 like the Scotiabank Arena has. You can open up. um, Now, I know they did some weird things with tarping and setting up some other sections, but it does still have a higher capacity. Uh, than Scotiabank Arena. So maybe Ottawa wants to take a run at breaking this record, right? Maybe you could do that. Have a game later in the season where you move Ottawa out to uh, Canadian Tire Centre um, and and see what you could do. Now, Ottawa is a smaller market than Toronto, so it is a tougher draw, and the location isn't as good. So it, in a, this is not anything new for NHL fans in Ottawa. But when you make it an event and you say, we want to set the record, and with how passionate this market has already been, uh, I don't know. I think it's worth taking a shot. Montreal has a building that's bigger than both Canadian Tire Center and Scotiabank Arena. If they could get into the Bell Center, I think it's closer to, what, 21,000, 22,000? Maybe they want to take a run at setting this. Like, at some point, you won't be able to do it anymore because you'll have just you'll have sold out your NHL buildings in your local towns, and it, it, it just, the record 
will get really hard to, you know, if this thing builds up enough, could you try and do something at, at TD Place at the football stadium? Could you do something at the Dome if you wanted to at some point? Yeah, you could do those things, but that becomes a whole other event as opposed to just moving into the NHL building for a night and taking a run at the record. And I think both Ottawa and Montreal should take a run at it this year. See if they can get, uh, I don't see how many times you can set that record here um, in your inaugural season. Because it's it's a hell of a story so far. Honestly, it is. So uh, that's probably about it for tonight. Just some notes coming out of Thursday's uh, NHL. Also, the uh, maybe we'll get to this later on with uh, with Lever Sage. The Orioles have added an ace. Uh, that's not going to make life any easier for the Blue Jays. Uh, but we can maybe get to that a little later on. Um, but I just wanted to throw down some thoughts coming out of uh, night one of the NHL All Star festivities. I didn't think it was quite as poor. As everyone else did, I thought the big break in between the draft and the game was brutal. Um, and then the the game itself redeemed things, right? Brought it back, was exciting to watch. The crowd was into it. So uh, kudos to everybody who uh, who endured down there in the arena. And uh, we probably won't do one of these after the skills competition. Although I will say I'm more interested in the skills this year than I have been in past years. The competitive element, going back to the more traditional events, I think everything that they're going to do on Friday night should be better, should be more entertaining, and hopefully the players will take a little bit more seriously. But I, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, There is always that element for hockey guys that are too cool for school, and we'll see. Uh, And then Saturday, the game is, the games are whatever they're going to be. They're three on three. Maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I won't. Uh, We'll see. But uh, I thought Thursday was was a pretty good start. Uh, pretty entertaining to uh, to get up and going. So, like I said, stick around later this afternoon. I can't tell you exactly what time it'll be. Uh, you know, Lee has said, you know, he and I will try and touch base maybe around 11 or 12. Then it'll take me a little time to turn it around and, and, and get it uploaded. So look for it sometime kind of early to mid-afternoon on Friday, but we'll tweet about it and, and post about it as we always do. Uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, go back and check out episode 1249. Cheryl Pounder was here. That was a really fun chat, talking to her about uh, about everything she's been doing lady, uh, lately with the women's under-18s and the World Juniors and the PWHL and the NHL. We talked about, uh, you know, what kind of turnaround the Sens are going through right now under Jacques Martin and whether that, that ship is slowly starting to turn. Talked about what the Leafs have going on right now and whether it's worth them, I don't know, investing in this group at the trade deadline. Would, in her opinion, is this a year to spend assets or... We not really know what this team is yet. So all kinds of great stuff with Cheryl Pounder. That it was episode 1249. If you haven't caught it yet, highly recommend you go back and check that one out. Uh, until later today with Lever Sage, my name is Matt Robinson. Thank you for listening. We'll see you then. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.